Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. If you've enjoyed content on this podcast, it's important that I tell you about the Leading Saints newsletter that we send out every week. This newsletter keeps you up to date on all the current Leading Saints content releases, including podcasts, articles, online events, and even live events that might be happening in your own area. In this newsletter, we also recommend some past episodes and written articles that you don't want to miss. Each week, we include additional leadership perspectives and thoughts that you can only find in the weekly newsletter, so you definitely don't want to miss out. To subscribe to the weekly newsletter, simply text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe so you don't miss any future Leading Saints content. All right, it's that time again. That's right. You're putting on your tennis shoes, go for a run. You're getting ready to do the dishes, mow the lawn shovel the walks, and podcast. I mean, what a great activity to do while you get stuff done. Am I right? This is the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham. I am your host, and it's an honor to fulfill this position. And if you're new to Leading Saints, I welcome you. Come on in, take a seat, uh, or keep up with those dishes, and make sure you send a, a text to that friend after your run and say, hey, thanks for sending me this episode because it's so good. I'm glad I found this podcast. They really appreciate that. Now, you should also know what, what it is we're about because if someone just sends you a text, you need to know what this is about. And we're a nonprofit organization called Leading Saints. And our mission is to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through this podcast, through leadingsaints.org, through our newsletter that goes out every week, through our virtual summits and conferences that we do from time to time, our core leader library. There's so many ways we've curated some content about leadership. And we talk about with experts, with authors, from individuals with unique perspectives that can hopefully inspire you to be a better leader. And it's so fun to talk to leaders around the world to say, hey, wow, I just can't thank you enough for this resource. It's really been pivotal in my journey as a leader. And we hope it is. And we hope that you're finding value. And you don't always have to agree with us. And maybe some things we say are are out there, but you know, we're, we're trying to just improve your leadership experience or, or inspire you to seek out resources that will help you become a better leader. The world needs them, that's for sure. So in this episode, I talk with my good friend, Jason Hewlett. Jason is so much fun. If you have not seen Jason Hewlett perform, you need to contact your CEO, your the executives, your event planners of your company, your day job, whatever, and get him to come perform, even if it's virtually. He is so entertaining, but also so inspiring. I just love to watch his career path. And the fact that I know him personally, I consider him a friend and a mentor is just awesome. I love my conversation with him. And so when he recently published his book called The Promise to the One, I told him, Jason, we got to get you on the podcast to talk about this. I had the opportunity to read the book. Phenomenal, great resources. I mean, there's so many ways to use this book, not only in your book club, but for that return missionary who's figuring out where to go in life. Like it's a motivational book. It's an inspirational book. There's so much spirituality in there. And so we have a great discussion. And in the beginning, we talk about presenting and speaking during pandemic times and virtually. And so he gives us some tips on running a virtual sacrament meeting, running a virtual Sunday school or elders quorum or least study meeting. And uh, I, f- I found it was quite helpful. And then we t- jump into some of the principles of his book that also relate to leading during a pandemic and shutdown, but also just leading in life in general. So you're going to love it. Here is my interview with Jason Hewlett, the author of The Promise to the One. 
Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. Today, I'm talking with the one and only Jason Hewlett. How are you, Jason? I am the one and only. <laughs> That's hilarious. Thank you, Kurt. You're the one and only. Come hey, on. isn't that how you bring yourself out on stage all the time? Like the one That's, and only. That's how I wake up every morning. I just throw open the door and go, kids, the one and only, your dad. That's right. That's wake right. up. Time so, for Zoom uh, calls, kids. Come on. Now, you're one of the, the few that I've invited back on the podcast, so uh, consider yourself a few of a of, of few there. Um, <laughs> that I'm one of the one of only. <laughs> yeah, the one of the uh, the few that have done this. So, But those that may be familiar with you, and we'll definitely link to that first podcast, uh, which was great and entertaining and insightful, as you always are. But uh, put yourself into context. What do we need to know to understand Jason? Well, I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I think that's probably obvious being on here, but I am a dad of four beautiful children, lovely wife we have here, and of course, I am a speaker, performer, entertainer. I used to do events for a lot of people, and then, I don't know, something happened in 2020 (laughs) (laughs) where my whole living was gone in one blink of an eye. And so right, and that's not <laughs> that's not hyperbole. Like literally, it the shutdown happened, and then your inbox is like bing, 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 like all these cancels, right? Uh, oh man, it was the saddest thing ever. It was it was both inbox and phone calls, like frantic people saying we're canceling our event with ten thousand people or a thousand people or everything in between. It was insane to watch it just fall apart, and I went no. Yeah. And so, going from paying a healthy tithe in February to wondering, okay, how do we even make our house payment this month? It's been an interesting transition. So now I am a Zoom expert, (laughs) I guess, doing virtual events. And uh, so, yeah, that's how I make my living. So you're seeing that uh, companies are sort of coming back online as far as with virtual events, because even, and I guess there are some in-person events that they do cautiously or spread out or whatever, but mainly you're seeing that it's it's virtual events and you've, uh, you've pivoted that way. Well, yeah, the virtual has certainly taken over. I'm grateful they're still trying to do it. Majority of my clients that were booked said, we are not going to do anything on virtual. We're going to wait until we can do it live. And what's interesting is now that we're so many months into this thing, they're saying, hey, actually, why don't we try virtual? (laughs) And so I had to prove real fast that I could make that kind of switch as well. Because to be entertaining and engaging doing music and comedy and teaching leadership and all the things that I do in a normal keynote presentation in front of people that are live. It is different on virtual, but there's a lot of stuff that's actually cooler about the virtual. And that's what I've been learning and they have too as an audience. And so I've I've actually not been this busy for a long time, Kurt, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, that's great. I'm happy to hear that. And this is, I was planning to maybe go this direction, but I'm, I'm curious because there's many leaders out there that are now doing virtual events, right? Sacrament meetings, Sunday school, uh, elders quorum, relief society, these things. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a lot of feedback or individuals saying, you know, any tips on how to do this? And, and we've talked about, you know, meeting management and, and the art of emceeing and, and these things, but what advice would you give to, you know, an elders quorum president who's trying to run a quorum meeting or even a sacrament meeting? Like, what have you seen from the secular world out there that they're trying in, in some of these events that may be helpful? 
Well, the first most important I'd say is to know your technology. I mean, if you're going to send out a Zoom link, know that it's going to expire after 40 minutes if you have the free version or if you have a professional version. Then I was in the middle of an elders quorum meeting and all of a sudden it just ended. <laughs> I went, oh, dang. Amen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I texted the teacher. I said, oh, man, I didn't know we had the free version. I could have used my link. So I, you know, that's important right then and there is just to know your platform and know what you're doing, how to share your screen, test it out with somebody. If you're in the leadership, I mean, get on a call with your presidency and say, Hey, does everybody know how to do this? Do we know how to manage the chat? Do we know how to turn the time over to this person or get on and off the mute button? Even just figuring out how to use, I mean, not very many people have a lot of cameras, but different cameras or toggling between microphones. These types of things are important to know if you are the person leading out on that Zoom call or Zoom meeting or whatever else, go to meeting, webinar, this and yeah. that, Microsoft <laughs> Teams, you name it. There's like a thousand of them now. But that's another trick. Uh, let's say that most people are used to Zoom and all of a sudden you're sending out a Microsoft Teams invite. Now, nobody knows how to log on. And so are you sending instructions that they probably have to check it out first prior to the meeting starting? Because they might have to download an app. They might have to, you know, it might take them a little bit to get into it. So giving them some instructions is really, it's so interesting, Kurt, how our level of communication has needed to be amplified almost as if we're doing it double or triple time just mm. to make sure everybody is on the same page, just to get onto a call. Yeah. And so, you know, of course, there are techniques that everybody knows by now, but things with your computer, such as having it at eye level, if possible, or at least your camera and not having the lighting be too crazy behind you. Don't put your camera, you know, in front of the window, turn it around so the window gives you the light. Just those simple things, even trying to keep some extra noise from the background Simple stuff, but I'm telling you, it makes all the difference in a spiritual meeting setting, heavens. Yeah. Yeah. I've always told people, you know, the best thing you do is just make sure you're looking at a window because uh, that yeah. shadowy figure that's bearing his testimony on the screen, I'm not sure. You know, it's like, <laughs> it, can, it can be awkward that way. And I know you typically sort of have the, the uh, keynote format where it's sort of you performing and presenting, you know, to an audience. And obviously, before the pandemic, when you were on a stage in front of 10,000 people, you weren't necessarily looking for audience engagement, you know, that way. But any tips on on that engagement as far as because a lot of things, you know, Sunday school teachers are struggling with is like, man, I can't get anybody to talk. And it's hard enough in a classroom. And now it's just these windows and most of them don't even have their camera on, you know, any tips or advice there? That'd be one of the first things I would recommend that a leader actually recommends to their ward or their stake is to say, hey, look, if somebody's going to be going on and doing a lesson and putting themselves out there that way, we would ask that you would also put yourself out there and turn on your camera. And in fact, our stake leadership said that to all of us in the high council and other groups. They said, look, put that camera on, make sure that we know that you're participating and you're there. It's really deflating to somebody teaching, not knowing if people are watching. And we don't care if you're cooking, just mute yourself. But yeah. we, you know, we want to know that you're there. And so having that on is important. And then when it comes to the engagement question, oh yeah, I mean, here's what's interesting about this new age that we're living in is that 
in the normal life, the real world, in a live meeting, you would have your specific few that are brave enough to raise their hand in gospel doctrine and be like, I know everything or whatever their, <laughs> you know, their question is. But then in the virtual world, you're going to, if you ask the right questions, you're going to get people that would never raise their hand because they're still kind of hiding behind a screen. And so you're going to get way more interesting answers or questions or or even comments if you are able to ask them. So even just starting out getting people warmed up in the chat is a wise place to start. Such as, you know, a simple question, let's say you've just had sacrament meeting, you've closed that down for the ordinance, and then, you know, a half an hour later, you're going into gospel doctrine or Sunday school. Now a good thing to maybe just start with is be like, after you say the opening prayer, this, you know, the Sunday school president turns it over to the teacher. Hopefully they've worked on that transition before. But what if yeah. the teacher comes on and says something like, hey, you guys, I'm so grateful you're here with me today. I'd be so, I'd be so grateful to know, was there a scripture or some story that happened this past week that you'd be willing to share in the chat that really influenced you? Or what was something cool that happened this past week? We can't unmute everybody, but put it in the chat for us, something neat that happened to you. Or you know, that kind of thing. Just something simple, even like, hey, did any of you guys have to do a Zoom call this week with your parents of the, or the, uh, the children and your parents and the teachers and the whole thing? And, and then everybody starts doing this chat, which is really yeah. interesting to me. And just getting them talking in the chat, getting used to that, makes for a lot of neat engagement. And then yeah. they'll start answering more questions. Because I know that when we've tried things where they're like, hey, let's turn it on and everybody unmute yourself and we're going to sing a song. We're going to oh, sing yeah. a hymn. <laughs> that is the disaster of all time. <laughs> you know, just assign someone to sing a solo and everyone can sing along on mute. Right. You know? So <laughs> yeah. there are different ways of engaging that are really interesting. Yeah, no, that's helpful. Really helpful. Uh, and you mentioned right before, I got to just touch on this. You mentioned before we hit record that you were a few months ago called to the, the high council. What, what's that been experienced like? And, and maybe obviously it's a different world with the pandemic, but what are you learning and anything, any nuggets that you would share with the audience? Well, the high council, I mean, obviously we all know that they're there, <laughs> but <laughs> when there's you're 12 not of them. In, there's 12 of them. When you're not in it, you're just kind of like, uh, what do those guys do? I know they show up and they're kind of like these guys that show up with these long drab talks. And so when I was, you know, became a part of this, now I get to be with the primary and work with them. And it's been fascinating during the pandemic. Heavens, we're doing baptisms for not like the entire stake at once, like you would have at a normal Saturday. It's now one family at a time coming in through the Relief Society door as, you know, t every 20 minutes. And yeah. they can only have 20 people and they can broadcast it as a Zoom or, a, you know, a Facebook Live. They can't record. But having these little intimate meetings with families one at a time and seeing each of these bishopric members come in one at a time, everyone's masked up and everybody's, you know, sanitizing everything and just doing something real quick like a prayer and then the ordinance and then moving them to another room. Just the management of all of this to keep everyone safe and feel the spirit still. It's really been neat. And uh, I mean, all I can say is, as I've now seen a bishop brick reorganized that I'm with that ward and I get to be a part of their meetings now. I mean, I'm learning all kinds of neat stuff that 
I never thought I'd get to be a part of all of this. So it's been really yeah. cool. Yeah. And it probably helps that you're in town uh, more consistently as well, that you can uh, engage <laughs> with those meetings, right? I know. I no longer have the excuse, I'll be performing in Dubai. Now I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I can be there. <laughs> sure. Whatever you need. <laughs> oh, six in the morning to open up the font. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, <so. laughs> nice. Get you yeah. out of the house. You know, that's good. That's awesome. right. Awesome. Well, th the main reason I wanted to invite you on the, the podcast is uh, you recently released a book called The Promise to the One. And I've heard you uh, perform and speak many times around this message. And it's such an uplifting message. I was in encouraged to see that uh, you put it in book form. But what was that journey like as far as taking sort of all these thoughts and putting them in a book form? Well, I've been talking about The Promise for four years full time with all these corporate events that I do as a keynoter. And usually they're just after wanting me to come in and be entertaining, energized, and leaving them with a powerful leadership message. And so we created The Promise around the concept that why set a goal and we can make a promise? And so we just really talk about the level of commitment we're willing to be accountable for, which a promise is quite strong, as you know. And so if we say we're going to do something, are we going to do it? In that regard is how we do it in a corporate setting. And with the promise, I talk about three elements, that there's the audience, which is our customers. And then or if in church case, it would be if you're a bishop, it's the congregation, right, or the members. Then there's the element of the family which is the family or the team that we work with. It might be our family at home or at church. It could be you know, our ward family, or it could be those that we serve with directly in our callings. And then finally, the promise to the one was the third element. And a lot of people wondered, you know, is the one God? And it could be, certainly, but I like to say that the promise to the one is the one is ourselves. And so how are we keeping a promise to us? Because if we're not able to keep a promise to ourselves, how are we doing that with everyone else? And so I usually close with that piece, just very short piece about the promise to the one, to ourselves. And I thought, you know, well, I'm trying to write a book on all these elements, the different places we make a promise. It was revealed to me that I needed to write the book about the promise to the one first, that we couldn't focus on the client or the team or the family even, that we had to focus on the promise to the one because that's where our foundation starts. That's the foundation of our beliefs, our morality, our integrity, all that encompasses who we are. And so the promise to the one came from that. And I'm, I'm very pleased with how it turned out. So it's yeah. really been a positive book for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading it and uh, different stories and examples you have. And your your humor is threaded throughout it, so that uh, that helps as well. But, you know, this concept of the promise to the one, I really appreciate it, especially from the church leadership standpoint, because it's easy, you know, when you get called to the high council or as an elders quorum president or really president, you sort of feel like, I want to do a good job. Like, I don't want to let anybody down. But we have to also approach it from the standpoint of like, well, what am I promising myself in this? Like, and that can sound selfish on the surface, but you know, it's the old example of you put your own mask on your air mask on before you help a child, right? On the airplane, you have to first start with the promise to the one so that you can then be capable to promising things to other people. Is that is a good way to look at it? Totally. Yeah. And that's why we started there. I love that example on the airplane. And you know, had I known this before I was called as an elders quorum president as a young new dad, when we had three kids in 26 months, I mean, it was crazy time at our house. And I was a young elders quorum president trying to do everything I could. I lived in an area of Salt Lake City that was exploding with 
families and, and people moving in and moving out left and right. And so when you're in the elders quorum, you're just like, hey, we're full-time movers, you know? <laughs> and so <laughs> I remember as this young elders quorum president wishing I'd have known more about the promise to myself, because I'm telling you, I took on so much as my promise to the ward, my promise to my elders, my promise to everyone. And, you know, I remember when my list of home teaching, which is now ministering, but my home teaching list went from three families to about 12 to about 30, because I'm like, man, no one else doing it. I can do it. I mean, talk about foolishness. And it really did hurt me for a long time, actually. I mean, I served so much and I hardly slept due to my calling and my business and having young children. I was doing so much that I broke promise to myself until I don't know if I could do the calling effectively anymore. Yeah. And so I'd admonish anyone to consider what are their promises to themselves. I mean, anybody that's listening to this type of podcast is obviously, you know, wanting to improve, do your best. And so you're not that kind of elders corn president that everyone goes, I don't even know who he is, you know, but, <laughs> but you're the kind of elders corn president that probably takes on so much that there is a promise to self to delegate, to allow for other people to figure things out, to still be there for them, but make sure that you're there for yourself, maintaining your health, your balance as much as possible. And I mean, Kurt, I remember at that point, I don't even know if I was reading the scriptures. I was so busy serving everyone. Yeah. You know, like that's a weird place to get to in your church leadership. Yeah. And I don't know if that's normal, but it was in my case. And I know now I'm, as a high council member, I'm thinking, I really need that time for me where I'm waking up and reading my scriptures and working out and eating healthy and being careful, not pushing so much that I can't serve well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, as we start these callings that are, they can, I call it the calling monster, right? Like as a bishop, you can give it 80 hours a week if you want, and you'll have stuff to do. It can be 40 hours, 50 hours. You'll all, there'll always be more to give. And so and a lot of times we, we start these, especially in a religious tradition with a lot of covenants or promises, right, that we make to God. And so we sort of feel like in this calling, I'm promising God to do a really good job, or I'm promising the bishop or the stake president that I'm going to do a really good job. But to really take that first step of saying, I'm going to first promise myself that as I go through this calling, I'm going to become a better person, become more sanctified. And it's not going to wear me down and abuse me to the fact that the point where by the time I'm released, I'm just exhausted. Right. And that is an, an intentional promise that one needs to make at the beginning. Very well said. And if we understand that, then we can make sure to set up the correct boundaries that we need, not just the boundaries from others, but for ourselves with our own schedule, our own time, all of that that we know we need to keep sacred in certain ways. I remember there was a time when I would be doing the quarterly PPIs as an elders quorum president and have, you know, meeting with all these guys running from house to house or having them come to mine. And I would be conducting PPIs over a family birthday party, like weird <laughs> stuff, you know, where it, we laugh about it now, yeah. but like back then I was there. like, yeah. I have to do this. I made a promise be the best elders quorum president. And I'm telling you, I was ticked off during the PPI because I was like, I'm missing the party. And my priorities were just out of whack. And so there's a reason I wrote this book of the promise to the one is because I've broken so many promises to myself. And I'm giving everyone kind of a, 
an example. Oh, really, I'm I'm filleting myself out on the table and saying, look at how stupid I've been in so many ways. And yet, here's how we can suture this up and make it work for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's powerful. Break down this other concept that you talked a lot about that I really appreciate the, as far as signature moves. And because I think as we make a promise, especially in the context of a calling, it's easy to, and I, I always, I call it the, the Bishop Monson principle. Like we've heard so many stories about Bishop Monson, right? President Monson back when he was a young bishop and there's like visiting all the widows, like he was there at the right time. Like you hear all the positive stories. And a lot of times as a bishop, I was like, oh, like, I can't believe I made that mistake or I, man, I really dropped the ball. Like Bishop Monson would have never done that. Right. And to really stand back and say, well, that's because I'm not Bishop Monson. And I'm sure there's several times that he dropped the ball as a bishop, but they don't make for good general conference stories. So we never hear about them. Right. And so, <laughs> but the, just realizing that Bishop Frankham is a different Bishop than Bishop Monson is. And that's fine because we have our own signature move. So anything you'd add to that is that's how I understand it. But obviously you, you're better articulating this stuff. No, it's beautiful how you said it. And I, I have to laugh at that example because, yeah, we all know that as the ultimate bishop, right? And and then equally, uh, I wrote about the signature moves. And, and if someone's curious, what is a signature move? It's, it's just what you're known for. It's your unique talents and skills. And so, you know, if you think about a singer, think about their signature song. If you went to their concert, they didn't sing it, you'd be disappointed. Well, that's what your traits are as the leader and the person that you've become. People expect you to have a certain way about your personality or the way you conduct, the way you give your, your talks and the way that you do interviews. And, and so when we think about ourselves, I, I take people through chapter two is the ICM process for discovering your signature moves. ICM is simply identify, clarify, magnify. And so if you were to identify your unique traits, and they might be really simple. I mean, if, if we were to talk about mine, it's like, I, I'm funny, I'm a musician, I'm very, I'm very proactive, I'm, I'm also at the same time a dad, and I'm a Boy Scout, and, and all of these things that make me who I am. So identify those for yourself and come up with your top 10 list that you really identify are you. I found when I did this for myself, I tried to write as many as I could, even up to 100, and I challenge anyone listening to do that. But imagine writing 100 talents, gifts, or skills that you feel you've, you have or have cultivated, even attributes that you want to attain someday, and you come up with your top 10. Mine include things like service, and I'm a speaker, and I'm a hard worker, those types of things. So that's the identify side of you know, what you identify for yourself. The clarify side is really cool because now we're involving other people. They'll clarify for us what we don't even see in ourselves. So they're going to give you words that you wouldn't have identified for yourself. So if I were to ask my wife, which when I did the ICM process, I said, hey, I'm trying to clarify for myself what my talents are. What are my gifts? Why did you marry me? You know, I thought she'd just say <laughs> handsome and funny. And, and she said, well, yeah, you're handsome, you're funny, but I married you because you're thoughtful, because you're resilient, because you are tenacious. And I'm like, whoa, those are some killer words. I never would have come up with those for myself. And when I asked people that I had served with in, in the church or in other leadership positions elsewhere, they were saying things like, you know, you're hilarious, where I thought I was just funny. They say I'm hilarious. All right. Or they would say, you're inspirational, which I'd have never written that for myself. 
So these become my signature moves. Now I can use those every single day whenever a problem arises. That now becomes my identify, clarify, magnify process. And now I'm magnifying those every day. So when my all my events go away as my profession in March, can I by April or May already be making money again? And if I know my signature moves, yes, I know how I can make that work because I can keep my promise, magnify my promise. And that's where the ICM comes in and the signature moves. We all have signature moves we need to share. And if we don't, we are cheating the world. It's like uh, Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Yeah. You know, what are we doing with our five, our two, or our one? Are we burying them or are we using them? Yeah. And not only, I found in my experience, like as you discover those signature moves, not only does it bless the lives of others, but there's like, you get energy from them, right? They help you come alive and perpetuate the good work that you're intended to do. Totally. Yeah. It's a, it's a really neat thing. And what's really special is imagine if you had this meeting with your bishopric or your, you know, Relief Society presidency or, or whatever, you know, leadership position you're in. Imagine sitting everyone down and saying, hey, you know what? I heard this guy on a podcast, weird guy, but this was interesting. And I want you guys to clarify for each other the talents that we each have. And so now we're opening it up so we can share the gifts that one another has. It's a really neat thing that happens. You know, the neighbors that, you know, have served together, but kind of know each other. Now, all of a sudden, we become like real brothers, real sisters. We're pointing out that, oh, you know what? sister so-and-so does this so well, she shouldn't be doing that other thing because this sister does that better. And what's neat about it is then we can amplify our ability to do great things and keep greater promises. Yeah. And I really appreciate this practical exercise, the ICM, identify, clarify, magnify exercise, because it a lot of people are thinking, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what I do well, or, you know, I, I just show up. Or, and so this really helps you get there. But I love the component of then doing that for yourself. And what a great prayerful journaling exercise that is like, take it to the Lord and be like, okay, like, help me understand me and and how you created me, you know, and then taking it to others around you saying, okay, now how do you see me? What am I missing just from being on the wrong side of my eyeballs here? Right? Like, what, what am I missing from that component? And I, I just think of not only this, this a great personal experience, or personal exercise to do, but for a quorum, you know, as a quorum coming together and takes us some time to do this and then asking each other, you may find like there's others in the quorum or the Relief Society that have similar traits that maybe, maybe that's a good ministering opportunity, right? You can, there's an opportunity for connection there. So uh, it's a great exercise. It actually really does work amazingly well in, in a team at work or at church, wherever you might take it. And especially within the family, that's really a special place. Imagine sitting down with your kids or your in-laws or whomever, you know, and just saying, hey, let's talk about the gifts each of us have. When was the last time we sat down and said, you know what, Ella, you are such a good dancer and you're so great with the camera and you do such neat social media posts. I wonder if you could also take that talent and create something helpful for your brother who's having a challenge doing this. Mm, and then yeah. now we're cultivating their talents. We're helping them to express themselves in a wonderful way and magnify their promise to the world, which they didn't even know maybe was a promise. And so it's a really powerful thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Talk to us about this concept uh, of about property lines. Uh, I'll let you unpack it. And then I think there's various directions we can go with it. <laughs> well, 
if you live in suburbia like I do, then you've you've got a yard and you've got uh, sidewalks and you have to either in the winter time clear the snow or you have to get rid of the leaves in the fall and that sort of thing. And, and the property line living just came about as a concept where I know that whenever I would be shoveling my sidewalk and my driveway and I'd wake up and see just a ton of snow, I'm like, okay, I'd start shoveling and I'd go, well, I have a choice now. I can either stop, you know, once I've shoveled my driveway and shoveled my part of the sidewalk, I can stop or I can keep going. Obviously, it depends on how busy you are and your day, but I know I could always carve out time to shovel a little more. And it hit me the most, Kurt, when I first woke up to a bunch of snow in a neighborhood and I looked around because I woke up late. I looked around and everyone's driveway and everyone's sidewalk was finished and it all stopped right at mine. <laughs> and I just had a giant pile of snow and I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I'm on my own here, you know, <laughs> and so, uh, which is fine. That's how life is. But then the next time it snowed, I woke up really early and caught it. And I was the first one out and I did my driveway. Then I looked over and I went, I'm going to shovel their driveway. And, and I shoveled their driveway. They didn't even know, obviously, because by the time they woke up, it may have melted. But I started shoveling the sidewalks and it made me feel good. Nobody knew what I was doing. I was just doing it because I was like, I don't want to be a property line living person. I want to do something that will benefit them in service that's even anonymous. And I would listen to conference talks and I'd feel so happy. It became like a workout. So I would spend instead of the 15 or 20 minutes I'd normally do on my own. And I'd spend an hour or even an hour and a half shoveling half the neighborhood. And, and I felt really good about that, you know? And it was only years later that one of the neighbors was like, you've been shoveling my driveway. Like they finally told me that they saw me or acknowledged it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It wasn't for that though. Right. It was just my own promise to myself to be a good community member, to be somebody who, you know, you'd want as a neighbor. And that's where that concept came from. Yeah. And I love it in the context of, you know, our, our ministering that we do that a lot of times we're thinking, okay, what can I do? Like I could visit them or send them a text or whatever, a lot of time we're doing, we can just extend what it is we're doing. Like, right. We're, we're shoveling our sidewalk. So maybe we could take it another 10 feet or 30 feet and, and shovel their sidewalk. Right. And, and so in, in ministering, it's like, what am I already doing? Maybe instead of baking a batch of cookies, I could triple a batch of cookies. And now I have more cookies to share. Right. Like I just appreciate that recognizing where the property line is and then figuring out how you can go past it. Yeah, that's great how you said that. And I mean, I was even thinking the other day when I got a Zoom link for the uh, sacrament meeting, it was a different one. I thought, ooh, I think this was sent out by the elders quorum. I'd better text it to the ministering families that don't have elders quorum members in it. Mm -hmm. And just a simple thing like that and saying, just making sure you got this link to my ministering families. And they're like, oh, thank you. I didn't even get the memo. You know, you're awesome. Like just that small of a thing is where the property line living kind of gets blasted out of that concept of saying, I'm only focusing on myself. I can keep a promise to those that I serve and it makes the world a better place. Yeah. And it seems like like things like the pandemic can suddenly shift the property lines or redefine them, right? That suddenly I could do, I could shovel walks and that was sort of the world we lived in, but now it doesn't snow anymore. <laughs> like, you know, like the world's different now, right? Like, and we, we have to, 
adjust, right? And so I think it's good for a leader to recognize, okay, I first have to figure out where the property lines are that I'm going up to, and then how can I move past that, right? Yeah, and it seems like it's been really grayed out, you know? I mean, it was really well-defined before all this happened, and now it's in this kind of gray area, but that's where creation happens. That's what's so exciting about it. If we believe that it was, you know, matter put together to create this earth, then what can we do with the matter that's floating around us right now? I mean, as leaders, we can do amazing things that maybe have never been thought of before, even just saying to our, you know, our bishopric and saying, hey, let's make sure that we touch in, in you know, touch every single person once a quarter, you know, just make sure that they're all okay or something to that effect. Maybe we could even make a video and do a quick message and send it out to everybody. Let them know that we're here. You know, if it's going to be a text, that's fine. If it's an email, that's cool. But maybe even setting up a, a Zoom meeting where you just say, hey, we just wanted to get everyone together for the night and say hello. You know, that kind of thing can create a greater connection that isn't necessarily in the handbook and saying, you must do that. You know, obviously they're saying, you know, don't do certain types of meetings, but can we still have gatherings? Can we still get together? Can we still reach out? Can we still make sure that the person that, uh, you know, makes their living in front of large groups still is getting, uh, you know, visited? <laughs> yeah. That would be nice, right? Yeah. So yeah. how do we do that? And connecting this to the the main uh, premise of the of your book is that it's easy, you know, we made it's, it's easy to get in this thinking of, okay, yeah, I made a promise when I was called to this calling, but now everything's shut down or we can't do visits or gatherings like we used to. So maybe I just need to wait this out. But to remind yourself, no, 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 I, that promise I made is still valid and it should still be valid. I just have to adjust on how I carry that out. Yeah, it needs to be adjusted. And, and obviously there is no handbook saying so far, this is what you do in a pandemic. And so that's where we can be creative. We can use our signature moves. If you're an entertaining person, then how can you still be in your leadership? If you're extremely organized, if you're, you know, if you're the number cruncher, I mean, all the different things that you've got, you should be able to utilize within your leadership. And that makes it interesting. And uh, yeah, there is no rule book at this point for this. And so we can create all kinds of neat things for connection, for making sure everyone feels ministered to. It's very important right now, especially. Yeah. And I'm just thinking of the, I, I sort of alluded to this earlier, but I know a lot of times leaders can become exhausted or worn out or tired. And it goes back to, you know, identifying, clarifying, magnifying, first starting there. And, and once you identify some of those signature moves, that's going to bring a lot more energy and saying, I'm going to, uh, now that I've identified these signature moves, I'm, I'm going to primarily serve and lead in the context of these signature moves, because that's going to give me energy. It's going to, serve other people in ways that uh, maybe others can't serve them. But then, and in that state of mind, going to those those property lines and saying, okay, now that I'm in my signature moves, where are my property lines? And then I think it can bring that exhausted leader back, sort of renew their soul again in their calling so they don't have to passively, aggressively figure how to get released or move. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly right. I mean, in whatever capacity we have the ability to share our service, our gifts, our talents. I know one day I was standing here in my office and I was just so frustrated. And I'm thinking, how am I going to make this work? This was a couple weeks into the start of the pandemic and all my gigs are gone. And I'm trying to figure out how to turn a camera on and my voice match up and everything that can go wrong was. 
And all of a sudden outside, I heard music playing out front of my house. And I'm like, what is that? Sounds like a live band. And I opened the door because, you know, at this time, everyone was like supposed to be boarded in their house forever. Yeah. And so I open up the door, kind of look out. And there is, yes, a family band out in front of our house <laughs> on awesome. the sidewalk. And it was my best friend. And he was playing with, you know, his guitar. And his wife had her guitar. And they had a little keyboard set up and a little microphone and, you know, an amplified speakers. And their kids were playing drums. And I was like, what is this? The Osmonds are here, man. You know, I mean, it was like the cutest thing ever. And they have a new little band called Waiting for James. Just such the cutest oh, thing cool. I've ever seen. And I thought, this is the perfect way to showcase leadership. Is that I'm frustrated. They know I'm at home because I'm trapped in there. And they're going to go and just start playing music in front of my house. And they were singing, you know, songs like... Uh, you know, oh, baby, give me one more chance. Show me that you love. You know, and so it was fun. And then they're like, give said the little stream. And I'm weeping. <laughs> and, and then we look, and there are all these neighbors on all sides coming out of their houses watching and thinking, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. There are ways that we can use our talents, even in a pandemic, even when all seems lost, that we can still share our music, let our light shine. And that's what the promise is about. This family kept their promise to me. It was so beautiful. Oh, I love that. No, those are inspiring stories. And and uh, and obviously see how they they literally walked outside of their property line with their with their instruments and and found your property line, right? And and blessed your life with it. So it was great. I love that story. And there are stories like that all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to be like, I'm not sure how we're gonna make our house payment and voice that to a group of friends. And the next day to open the door and there's envelopes with money in it. That's a humbling experience. And that's what people have done for us or have put food on the porch. I mean, I was so embarrassed to receive this because I'm usually the guy that's giving that. And yeah. so to now be the one on the receiving end was a really humbling and I'm so grateful for it moment. Now we're making the turn and Things are now looking good because there are so many virtual events now. But I'll tell you, being in that space where we needed somebody to reach out and say, what do you need? How can I help? And there were people that reached out to me and said, hey, do you have everything you need to go virtual? I said, I have to pay, you know, 3000 bucks for a new computer because the other one, I fried it on accident trying to put all the cameras. <laughs> to, and they're like, open your Venmo. I mean... Kurt, yeah, wow. miracles have happened during this time for our family. I don't know how to express it because it's supposed to have been done anonymous by peers and friends and others. But I'm just telling you, if somebody has the gift or the capability to serve and to give, and at this time it was like, hey, how can we help you financially? They gave those resources. And that's what's neat about being in a, in a ward where we can look around and say, not only hey, what resources do you have? You know, do you have a truck? Are you able to store the float for the parade? You know, we've done that a million times, but now can we do that with our talents and our gifts, the resources that we have within us that make up who we are and allows us to keep the promise of the one? Yeah, I love that. One of your concluding chapters is all about legacy. And this concept is, is something I've spent a lot of time pondering over and, and I appreciated your perspective on it as well. 
and I feel like, especially in callings, you know, especially some of those callings that last more than a few years, like a, a bishop or a Leaf Society president, there is this desire to leave somewhat of a legacy, not not a self-promotional legacy. You know, we're not looking for statues in front of the building of, of that great uh, Relief Society president, <laughs> but really just like a legacy of of Jesus Christ, right? In those in those uh, in those roles. So, uh, speak to us about legacy and and why you included that chapter. I've always loved the thought of a legacy, and I've thought about my own legacy from the perspective of my ancestors and how they've left theirs for me and how I can continue it on as well. I don't know if I shared with your listeners last time, but I mean, I have a rich legacy in the pioneer heritage, and I'm so grateful for you know, my great-grandparents. My great-grandfather was the president of the Tabernacle Choir from the 30s to the 60s in, mm. in the 1900s. So I'm, and my great grandma was a soloist, and during their tenure, the choir won a Grammy. I mean, and that wasn't just their legacy; they also uh, purchased property up in eastern Utah, where we go as a family and co- and we all congregate together. I mean, we're talking four or five, you know, relatives deep. So we know our fourth cousins better than some people know their brother and sister. It's very interesting how they created that legacy. For us. So I'm coming at it from a perspective of saying, what will live beyond you? What can you create now? And how can we uh, create that for ourselves? And what will it look like? And so I, I, I go to this kind of interesting space in the book where I say, wouldn't it be interesting to attend a funeral? And then you realize it's yours. Yeah. And yeah, I, I you're, hearing, <laughs> you're hearing what they're saying about you. Now, how could you rewrite that story if you want it to sound different? Or how could you amplify what they're already saying and do even more of? Because essentially what they'll be talking about are your signature moves. It's that you were known for being the person who served or who was always there. You were known as the person that, you know, did this or that really well. And so how do you want that to be shaped and created? And so it's really just an exercise of self-reflection, opening your journal writing it down and even saying, these are words that I want to be known for. And mine would include things that, you know, most people would say, Jason wants to be known as a funny guy. And and that's, yes, part of it. But I'd really like people to think, you know, he's a Christ-like person. He went with love first. You know, that kind of thing is important to me. So how can I live that every single day? Can I shine light? Can I give of myself? Can I spread that joy throughout the world so that as my legacy, they go, yeah, lived a Christ-like life, helped a lot of people. You know, that's a very powerful concept. If someone's never gone through that before, written in their journal and said, this is what I want to be known for, then go for it. Because the more you do that, it's not selfish at all. Because it's all about everyone else. That's what it becomes really is your legacy is what you did to benefit the world. Yeah. And I love this uh, tactical, you know, the application of writing in the journal. And you talk about in the book about writing your own obituary, like what would that sound like? What would you include? And it's sort of like this reflection, you're reflecting on your life as if it's done, but it's not done. And so it's amazing that revelation that that stimulates when you sit down and really say, all right, what do I want people to say about me at at my funeral? And I thought in the context, you know, as far as church leadership, like I think it would be so valuable for a brand new Sunday school president you know, young women's president to sit down and say, what do I want to look back and 
see happen in this role or who do I want to become in this role or, you know, just going through that at the beginning, that's going to push you in the direction of inspiration that you could find no other way. Right. And this, yep. this concept of, of legacy, I feel like, again, it's not about, oh, I'm going to, yeah, I want to get to a place where they they talk so highly of me and I'm this wonderful person, but I feel like the difference with legacy, when you establish or shoot for legacy, you are perpetuating the glory of God because God created you and he expects you to be somebody of legacy. And that's so well said. And I mean, every time I go into any event, when someone's creating something and their job is on the line, as you can imagine, you know, before I'm going to be their speaker, I just say to them, what is the feeling that you want people to walk away with? What is that thing that you would say, this is the ultimate success for our event? And if we look at that from a church leadership perspective, in our callings or in our own lives and to say, you know, what do I want the end game to be? What do I want this whole experience to have been? And it's not to say that, you know, well, everyone said I was the greatest bishop because I did the best talks. It's not about <laughs> that. You know, It's about how can we serve them at the highest level of engagement? This is the highest level of engagement we have is a promise. And so then that allows us to be accountable to our own promises that we've made to ourselves to serve others. And it helps us live at a higher level of resonance and spirit. And man, that is the greatest way we can glorify God is by giving our gifts and our talents that he gave us for this short period of time to utilize them and to bless others as only we can. And that's why the promise is so powerful. Yeah, it is powerful. Jason, what are we missing? Any other point or concept that you feel like would be a good fit for this audience that uh, we haven't touched on before we wrap up? You know, there was a part in the book that I think your audience would find interesting. I wrote the book thinking that not very many people would read it and that I would just self-publish this book because I've self-published other books in the past. And when I finished the book, I said, oh, this is done. Like, I know it's ready. And that's rare for an artist to have a book mm. feel ready. Yeah. And then I had a publisher that was interested in it, like really interested, a publisher that I was really after. And the publisher came back to me knowing where we were going to sell this book, which is mostly to corporations and leaders in the corporate world. And the publisher came back and said, hey, look, this is a pretty spiritual book for a corporate audience. And I said, yeah, it's kind of built upon the moral basis of our character and so forth. And he said, problem you have is chapter 10. I said, oh yeah, you found chapter 10. (laughs) (laughs) That that three-letter word, God. The old three-letter word of God. Okay, so what's wrong with the God chapter? And he goes, no, I'm just telling you, if we're going to sell this to leaders at conventions and these big conferences, association events where you speak, you're going to lose a lot of opportunities by keeping that chapter on God in there. And I said, okay, so what do you recommend? And he goes, well, what do you think if we didn't include it? And I said, well, then it would be an incomplete book. And you wouldn't be living I your w- promise, right? <laughs> I w- exactly. I said, it would be breaking the promise if I didn't have it in there. It's essential to the book. It's essential to the progression of the person. And the publisher smiled and said, that's what I thought you'd say. Let's do this. He was testing me to see if I'd pull the chapter out knowing that our sales would probably be affected. Oddly enough, the book on or the chapter on God is is not what people think. 
I mean, it's more just a definition of, you know, our best way to be a disciple and a disciple of that which is our talents and our gifts and to follow, you know, God's really true path for us. And so I found it interesting he would push me to that point, but he wanted to see if it was something I was willing to stick by. And so, yeah, in keeping the promise, I was even tested during the publishing of the book. It's an interesting thing that he would do that to me. But here's what's cool. It launched in the middle of a pandemic, this book, <laughs> which is not a good time to launch anything, essentially. <laughs> but it went to number one on the spiritual self-help oh, cool. the day that it launched, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing you didn't take that chapter out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So um, I always feel I sort of get in this rote question of like, so Jason, tell us where to get the book as if there's only there's multiple <laughs> places to get a book these days. You go to Amazon and you buy the book. But if people want to connect with you, uh, find out more about you uh, and the book, uh, where would you send them? Yeah, jasonhewlett.com is the best place. And doing virtual meetings and things like this has been really fun, whether it's they just need a Monday morning motivation and 15 minutes of entertainment or if they want a full 45 minute to an hour keynote, we've done workshops in the virtual space and even started doing some live things here and there with the brave audiences, which is fun. Yeah. But uh, jasonhewlett.com is the best place. I'm very active on LinkedIn and social media elsewhere. But yeah, the book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all places books are sold. And yet we're still trying to pitch to the local religious bookstores. So hopefully eventually they'll read yeah. chapter 10 and take it on. <laughs> they'll say, <laughs> we need everything cut but chapter 10. Can you do I that? Know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And, but just so your listeners know, the the one that's gotten the best response, you know, there's the ebook, there's the physical book, the audio book, apparently to everybody, people are like, you performing whenever you say something and then do the impression is so funny. So if I'm talking about Alvin and the Chipmunks, I'm going, oh, you know, it's a real show. Yeah. And so it, it makes the book a lot of fun. That's awesome. And as far as like, uh, I, I know you, you've, you did firesides in the pre pandemic world. Are you doing many zoom firesides or would be open to that? If a church leader reached out to, out to you? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I've had a few calls from missions who wanted me to talk to the missionaries cause they're at home. And, uh, and I just haven't received that many requests for it. I did a couple of like zoom youth conferences during the summer, which was, which was fun. Uh, I can only do it probably on a on a stake or a regional level at this point, just because I am so busy doing other things. But yeah, I would yeah. love to do something for anyone that I can to serve. That would be wonderful. Yeah. And I know there's many, you know, uh, individuals in, in the corporate world and, and whatnot. What type of, I mean, because when I think of speakers, I think, okay, you know, you have your big conference or convention and, and oh, Jason's there, right? But what are, what are companies doing that maybe some of them could use for their corporate gigs? Yeah, it's really just about connecting the people at this time because people are still either furloughed or at home or not going into the office, not having big conventions. And so a lot of these groups that are used to doing two or three day conferences are now doing like a half a day Zoom conference. So I still get to be that guy and make them laugh, make them think, consider their promise, especially into the new year of 2021 where People are thinking New Year's resolutions and what goals are we going to set? And that's why I like that question of why set a goal and we can make a promise. And not to say that goals aren't important, but, you know, yeah. you set a goal, you miss it, you set a new one, just like a resolution. <laughs> but if you make a promise and you break it, you 
you have a problem. So how can we make it so that goals are particulars and promises are proclamations? And what are your proclamations to the world to keep your promise to everyone that you meet? It's a cool, entertaining, fun keynote, even in yeah. a virtual. Yeah. Well, I typically end the interview with a certain question about, you know, leadership and discipleship and, and whatnot, but I think I'll do it in the context of the concept in your book about the promises of disciples. So send us off with a message. I mean, what does it mean for you to keep your promise as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, when we understand and we utilize our signature moves, this allows us to be the greatest disciple that we possibly can be that Heavenly Father would have us be. And when we're sharing our gifts and our talents, there's nothing greater than seeing somebody do that at their highest level because it is where their light shines brightest. And that's how we can testify of Christ, not just in word, but in who we are. Even with the masks covering up our mouths, people can still see it through our eyes and our gestures, our, our way of being. Whether it's on social media and keeping your promise there to spread light and joy, or whether it's just being a great neighbor and the property line living kind of thing. How can we continue to spread our promise and joy as a disciple of Christ? I truly believe it's by saying to ourselves, I promise to be as Christ-like as possible and share my signature moves every chance I get. And uh, that's how I've tried to live my life. I continue to try. And the more I do podcasts like this and talks and so forth and encouraging others, the more it keeps me accountable to try to do my best as well. So I wish your listeners the best in theirs. They'll do great. That concludes my interview with Jason Hewlett. Thank you so much, Jason, for keeping your promise, not only to God, to the world, but also to yourself. And man, I feel inspired that we need to take those moments of just pausing, stepping out of the context of where we're serving or leading or the program or the activity or the Zoom call. Or just, just stop. Take intentional moments to step out and to reflect, reflect from the future, right? And consider what things could I change? What things could I do? What promises could I keep in order to be a better leader today and to use my signature moves and, and bless lives in a way that nobody else but me could bless, right? It's inspiring words for sure. Definitely check out his book. I have the Kindle version, which I read, and the audiobook, and he's right. The audiobook is fun to listen to. Great one, especially with kids in the car, to listen and to feel inspired by some of his words and perspectives. So definitely check it out. And I remind you once again to text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to subscribe to the Leading Saints weekly newsletter. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.